be seated. I remember the moment. Circa 1993. It was the fall of 1993. I was on the B team or the football team of Livingston Junior High. Not only did I not make the A team, I made the B team, but I was not the starting quarterback. So what was I doing? Well, it was that Thursday evening, cold Thursday evening. I was warming the bench. I'll never forget the moment when my coach came behind me and he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, Dancer, get in the game. I'll never forget that moment. It wasn't spectacular, nor was the game, nor was my play. But I read this week in 19. In 2018, there was an article about something that that was the opposite. Something similar, but was the opposite. ESPN chronicles the story of Scott Foster, a 36-year-old accountant. So the story goes. He hadn't played a hockey game against serious competition in over a decade, can you imagine? But because of his background as a goalie for Western Michigan University, he'd been designated as an emergency goalie. You ever heard of that? Me neither. For the Chicago Blackhawks, an honor that usually just results in free food in the press box, the article says. When rookie goalie Colin Delia, himself substituting for a regular injured goalie from the first period, Anton Forsberg, was injured in the third period, Foster was called into service. He literally walked down from the stands, put on his gear, and took the ice. He says, the initial shock happened when I had to dress, and then... then I think you just kind of black out after that, he said. I don't think I've heard anything other than put your helmet on. The initial shock. Whatever mental zone Foster entered as he took the ice, it worked. He stopped all seven shots attempted, earned the team belt and honor reserved for the game's best player, and set, and set social media ablaze with tweets and posts from fans and analysts who could not believe he had never played professionally before. That is not what happened in the fall of 1993 in my story. And Foster said this, this is something that no one can ever take from me. It's something that I can go home and tell my kids. Imagine getting tapped on the shoulder for that kind of life-changing assignment. That was a life-changing thing. I mean, there was no Twitter in 1993, so mine did not make Twitter. But that was life-changing for him. That's exactly what happens today as we pick up, pick up in Mark chapter 3. We're walking a journey through the book of Mark. And that story is so relevant to the story that we're reading today. And by the way, it's also so relevant for us as well. So let's read Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside. And called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. So you may ask the question, why is he going to the mountainside? Well, if you go back to the previous passage that we talked about last week, well, there's people were trying to kill him. They were plotting to kill him. And so he's retreating and getting off to the mountainside, away from the Sea of Galilee area, and gets off into the mountainside. And so he, he's finding safety. We don't see here, but in the, in the book of Luke, when it chronicles this story, it adds something more, a little more detail. Not only did Jesus go off to the mountainside by himself first, he spent the night with the Father, praying. 
He literally prayed all night. So it doesn't come out in the book of Mark. But, so there's a lot of stuff going. There, there's some significant things happening in the life of Jesus this, at this moment. And so he goes off to the mountainside. And what does he do? As he did always when times were getting like, man, this is a critical time. What did he do? He was getting busy, too busy. He got off and spent time with the Father. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So Jesus went, on a mount, went up to the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Man, I wish I had that name. That's a cool name. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I want to talk today about calling. Now, that word, it, it, it is so weighty when we say that word. And, and uh, lots of interpretations of that word calling could be had today. Can I just say that there is such thing as a universal calling? What do I mean by that? That God calls all people to himself. That's what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And what do he say? I will give you rest. That's a universal call. Anybody can come and should come to Jesus. It is a universal calling. God wants all people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to have a relationship with him. So that is a universal calling. We have that calling here. It's a specific to these gentlemen. And, but for us, there's this universal calling, but there is a very specific one that is personal to us. There is a moment in our life when God calls us. Remember when that happened for you? That's what happens here. This is a specific calling to a specific assignment that Jesus was calling these disciples toward. So this is a specific calling. And so you have this universal calling, but then you have a specific calling. And this is the calling that, that Paul talks about, the called ones, the called out ones. And, and we could use this distinction of a universal calling versus a specific calling when God has called you out, out of death into life. And you access that life. How? By putting your faith in the one who has called you. Right? For by grace are we saved through faith. This is not of ourselves. This is the gift of God. All right? And so, so we, we are all universally called, but then when Scripture says the called ones, the, we could say chosen ones, it's talking about that who is, has been specifically called. Everybody's called to come to God, but specifically called, and then they respond in faith. And so this, if, if we were to spend some time today unpacking the conversation of predestination versus free will, all right, we won't spend time talking about that, but it does help us if you understand this idea of calling, that, that all are called to come, that God doesn't want anyone to perish, right? That all would come to a saving knowledge of him through Jesus Christ, but there are, not everybody gets to experience that, only the ones that hear the call and respond to the call in faith, and so does God give us the grace to choose him? Yes. Does God know who chooses him? Is he sovereign over that? Yes. That's exactly right. Yes. Does he give us free will? Yes. Are we predestined? Yes. We are all universally called. 
But then I remember in November of 1988 when God called me. When I heard the call of God that I realized I was dead in my trespasses, dead in my sin, and the only way I could come alive is to put my faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I remember that. Do you remember that? Well, if you can remember that, you are not only universally called, you are specifically called. And that's what happens here. We, we don't really understand, we'll never really wrap our minds around that, but we have to embrace the grace over us and also embrace God's sovereignty through it all. Because he is sovereign over everything. Come to me, all who are weary and all who are burdened, I will give you rest. There's a truth and also a great promise in that. We talked about this last week. Because Jesus has authority, he has the authority to grant us rest. And that means two things. We have already entered the rest. If you, turn, if you did your homework last week, you are, you are masters of this truth, right? Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about this rest. That if we are in Christ, we have already entered the rest that Jesus has for us. What are we talking about? An eternal rest, access through Jesus Christ. So we have that rest. We are already at rest through Jesus Christ if you have put your faith in him. All things have been settled. God has put it back, put the order of your life back into the way God had intended it, the, the, the way that God rested on that seventh day of creation to say that this is good. This is the way it is supposed to be. And I am walking with my creation in freedom. And, and Jesus puts us back in that place of the seventh day of creation, that place of rest. Are you with me? We also said that we are not yet at rest because this is not our home. Remember we said that? This is not our home. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us in heaven. And we can't be at rest when we have work to do. Listen, we have work to do, so we can't just prop our feet up and do nothing. We have a mission to accomplish. But back to this calling. When Jesus called his disciples here in our passage in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19, there's a few powerful truths we don't realize that Jesus initiated this calling, right? He went to the mountainside and he called to him those he wanted. And what did they do? They came. They responded. They heard the call of Jesus and they responded. I want to get two things. They're in your notes. Just two quick things today out that Jesus took the initiative. The first is this. You are wanted. You are wanted. I want you to let that sit in. Jesus moved toward these men, and he said, you are wanted. And Jesus offers that for us as well. That's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, which is written to not just the universally called, it's written to the specifically called, those who are in Christ. First Peter is written to, most likely, both Jews and Gentiles all throughout Asia. So it's writing to anybody who has put their faith in Jesus Christ at that time and has also extended to us. And here's what it says. But you are a, what's the word? Chosen people. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I love that that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, you see the moment that, that, that Peter is, is speaking toward once 
you were walking in darkness, and then you not only heard the specific call of God, but you responded to the specific call of God in faith. Once you were in darkness, and now you were in light. And because of that, you are a chosen people. You are a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. May we just be honest today and realize that the enemy wants you to realize everything but that. He wants you to feel everything otherwise than holy, everything otherwise than chosen, everything otherwise than royal, everything otherwise than special. Listen, in God's eyes, like you are the apple of his eye. He loves you. He loves me. And I don't understand it. Do you? I don't understand it. John Lynch expressed it this way. I was reading social media posts this week. He said this, how can he enjoy me so much? Does he just not understand? Does he ignore the overwhelming evidence against the realization of my potential? Is he not disgusted and left uninterested by the repetition of my deprecating self-story? Does he not grow weary of telling me over and over that I am enough, only to have me disbelieve it in the guise of not wanting to take advantage of his grace? I tire of my lies to the point of believing them. Oh, what kind of love is this? That he can absolutely delight in me who is, but as of yet is not fully seen. This love at once transformed me and continues to heal me. And for moments turning into actual seasons, I experience my freedom. Never, oh, never was I expecting this. It caught me completely off guard and it still does. You see, he just doesn't understand why Jesus would so love him. But it's not for us to understand completely because we never will. It's for us to accept and to embrace. I love when my kids were younger. Many of you, most of you in the room have kids. When my kids were younger, and my kids are awesome. I love my kids. They're 14, 12, and 10. They're, they're really good kids. They really are. Not kids anymore, 14, 12, and 10. Man, they're getting big and getting older, and so am I. I'm getting much older. But I remember when they were about three, five, and seven, and I would come home, and I lived in Rapid City, South Dakota, and when I came home, within one second of when I opened that garage door, first thing were screams. They would say, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy's home, and they would run to me down those stairs, and they would run and grab my leg and just hug me so much. I miss those days. The only one that does that to me these days is my schnoodle, Teddy. He does that every time I come home. If I'm gone for five minutes, he does that. If I'm gone for five days, he does that. And I love that. But why is that so significant to me? Because they, they are telling me very practically that I am wanted. I am loved and I am wanted. Here's the cool thing about what Jesus did. The disciples didn't go to him and say, I love you, Jesus The Lord of God, God himself came to them and he said, I want you. I feel strongly, I don't know who it is, I feel strongly today that somebody in the room, and I'm not one of those somebodies, needs to hear this simple truth. You are wanted. You are wanted. And the second truth is you are appointed. You are appointed. There in verse 14, he appointed 
12, that they might be with him, that he might, be, might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. But that first part, he appointed. I got out my old Bible dictionary, my good old Bible dictionary. It's like, what does the word appointment mean within the context of Scripture? It means this. It says this. The basic meaning of appoint is to establish or set in authority. The theological importance focuses on the appointing, consecrating, or commissioning of persons for special service to the Lord and his people. And it goes on to say, it can also carry implications, listen to this, for God's providence and the establishment of laws or principles. And so God wants us, he chooses us, he wants us, but he doesn't leave us there. He appoints us for a special assignment. He establishes a new law, a new principle over our life. Here's the picture that I see, Jesus. He's gathering his disciples like, I choose you, and they came to him. I want you, and they came to him. But here's what happened when they gathered. It's kind of like a huddle in sports, all right? Kind of like if you're watching the, the NCAA tournament, there's these huddles. Every chance they get, they huddle up, and the coach is just speaking some wisdom into them. So they huddle up, and he, he says in that huddle, it's like, huddle up, fellas. You are going this direction in life. Now I'm giving you a new law. I'm giving you a new assignment. You were pursuing this. Now I'm giving you a new appointment, a new law over your life, a new principle over your life. And you're going this way. And now here, look, I am going to give you a direction. I am, could we use the word, calling you, appointing you toward this. And every calling Always is a call toward a mission, okay? So what are those missions? It's twofold. The first mission is this. It's a third point here. I know it's a little weird on your little um, pamphlet there. But, but we are wanted. That's the truth. And that we are appointed. But what are we appointed toward? What is the mission that we are appointed, appointed toward? The first is this, to be with him. That's the most important one. I mean, what what Jesus is doing is laying out very clearly the priority of any follower, disciple of Jesus Christ. What is that? To be with him. He appointed them, verse 14, the 12, that they might be with him eternally. That's why he came. He came to take care of our sin problem so that we might again be with him, be at rest with him. That is, have our eternity settled. So, so with him eternally, but with him practically in a moment-by-moment basis. Don't over, overlook this. All good and fulfilling things come from the reality that by the grace of God, that, that we ha- can have a personal, intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is so important. This is priority number one for the disciple of Jesus, that we should be with him. And as you think about that, isn't that so crazy? Isn't that so crazy that God, the creator of the world, who knows everything about me, I can only speak toward me. Listen, I'm messed up. I'm a messed up guy. And he wants me, and he only wants me. He wants to be with me. He wants to be with me. I grew up singing the hymns, and one of those hymns is in the garden. 
And in the course of in the garden, you remember it, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me, I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. You got to be proud of me. There's a joke there. What's God's name, Andy? You know, you'd be proud of me for not going there. <laughs> Listen, this is something that is so wild that we get to do right now in this moment. Why? Because he moved toward us. He loves us. He says, I want you and I appoint you. And I appoint you and want you toward, toward this mission number one, to be with me. It's a crazy thing. Jerry Wilson writes in his book, The Imperfect Disciple, my friend Ray is the most Jesus-y guy I know. Half of him seems to exist in a spiritual ether at all times. He simultaneously radiates a warmth, a gentleness, a sweetness, and an incredible strength. He reminds me of what Jesus in person must be like. Once upon a time when Ray and I pastored churches in the same city, we started a group for pastors to gather and share stories and be encouraged by the gospel. And one day there were about four of us in Ray's study, and Ray suddenly said, let me tell you about my friend Jesus. And he started telling us about Jesus. And it became very clear that Ray actually knows Jesus like he actually hangs out with him. And as Ray started describing his friend Jesus to us, the room changed. It got smaller and bigger at the same time, and the air seemed to get sweeter and more breathable. I can't rightly say what happened, but my friend David, who was also there, confirmed he'd had the same experience. All I could figure was that we were somehow encountering a deeper sense of the presence of Jesus Christ, all because our Jesus-y friend Ray was introducing us to him. These are all pastors given, all right? These are all pastors. Their Jesus' friend Ray was introducing us to him. I want to be Jesus-y like that, he says. In my heart of hearts, I don't care about being seen as a big deal, about having a lot of recognition or a lot of stuff or even a lot of spiritual experience. What I want is to truly know Jesus, to be actual friends with Jesus. And I know Ray would not say he got that way by happenstance. I know he'd say that he got that way by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I know Ray experienced that grace and power of listening to God and spilling his, dut, filling his guts. He's gotten off the treadmill of routine religion and found the rhythms of the kingdom. I'll read that one again. There's a singer. He's gotten off the treadmill of routine religion and found the rhythms of the kingdom. And that's what Jesus came, right? The kingdom of God has come near. I am he. And it made him good friends with Jesus. Listen, God is a personal God. Yes, he is so big. We can't even fathom. He's so powerful. We can't even imagine but he is imminent with us, imminent with us, saying, I want you, and I want to be with you. Listen, child of God, we are made for this. We are made for this. We aren't made to do church things. We are made to encounter the one who gave birth to the church in the first place. And that's what Jesus is calling them to. He's saying they're wanted, but he is pointing them, appointing them to be with him. But the second is this, the rest of verse 14, to be warriors for him. To be warriors for him. He appointed them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And it goes on to say, and to have authority to drive out demons. Wow. 
not only to preach, but they're driving out demons, warriors. It was in those verses, 14b and 15, that Jesus declares war. He declares war on the enemy. Like, look, there is light and there's darkness, and there is death and life. And I have come to bring war to the enemy of darkness. And that twofold description of what the ministry and war toward that darkness looks like. What was the first? It is to preach. That's the word keruso. It is to preach and declare or to publish, to, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ and to go to war against the demonic in the world, like to cast out demons. That's, like, that's a very dramatic thing. When was the last time you cast out a demon? It's been a while since I have. <laughs> Never have. Not that I know of. Not in the way that we intend it. But what was the goal when Jesus cast out a, casted out a demon? What was the goal when he did that? It was full, complete healing and restoration for that person. That person was sick. That person was pr- broken. That person was possessed. And Jesus, what did he came to do? His name. To set the captives free. To, to save. To rescue. To deliver. The purpose of that type of healing was to restore. May I see, say to you, that's exactly what the disciple of Jesus Christ is to be about as a warrior for him, we are to be about people who are sick, people who are experienced in darkness in their life, to be, what can we say, ministers of reconciliation in this world, 2 Corinthians 5.18, and all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us that ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. So Jesus declares war on the kingdom of darkness. He says, I chose you. I choose you. I want you. I appoint you to be with me. But listen, there's a, there's a mission that comes when you are with me, then you will be about my business, right? What was Jesus already doing? This is what he was already doing. He was teaching the word, teaching the word, like creating it. He's just clarifying a lot of it and then giving some new stuff as well. Like, this is, this is good. He's doing that. He says, you are to go and declare, just as I'm declaring. You're to, to teach, to preach, to declare my truths. And then you are to go to do some pretty crazy stuff on behalf of me so that people can be reconciled. People can experience this. And so Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he's telling them, can you imagine? Like, these disciples... The, ones, the longest tenure of these disciples following Jesus was, we don't know exactly how long, could have been a matter of days, maybe possibly weeks. Don't think it's really a month. We don't know. We don't have an exact timeline. This is so early on in Jesus' ministry. But it was just a matter of, let's just say weeks for those, the long tenure. But some of these, most of these, he only had four, and then he calls the other eight, right? And so eight of these gentlemen... Literally have been following Jesus. They said, Jesus said, I want you. And they said, okay. This had literally been minutes. It had only been minutes. And Jesus says, now go and preach. Now go and cast out demons. Can you imagine what they were feeling? I mean, if I were them, I'd be like, man, I'm so inadequate for that stuff. I mean, I have a hard time many times just sharing, telling people about the hope of Jesus around me. Like these people, they'd only been, and I've been following Jesus since, November of 1988. And I have all of Scripture. They didn't have that. They didn't have the New Testament to lean on yet. They were walking with the Word at the time. They didn't have that. So I have all these resources. I've been walking with Jesus all, all my life for the most part. I was eight years old 
when I chose to follow Jesus. And here's these disciples, so fresh. A matter of moments, really, for eight of them. And Jesus says, all right, now that I called you, I want you, I called you, go and preach the gospel. Go and do powerful things. I mean, they must have felt, you know, so inadequate, so inadequate. They must have felt, um, man, Jesus, I mean, we get, we're learning you, but we can't do, we can't do that. But you know what? Eventually, that's important. Eventually, these disciples, all but one, these disciples actually go and do it. Eventually. Now, it was like staggered. For some of these, it was years before they really started doing this. But that's the word for me that resounded in this passage. Eventually, these disciples went and did it. The following statement is not peripheral, nor is it ancillary to the purpose of this text. May I just say this? Maybe now is your eventually. I don't know why. That may not mean a lot to you, but maybe now today is your eventually. Have you been following Jesus for a longer season? Have you really thought about like what he's called you to do? He has called you to be with him. And he has called you to be a warrior for him. And it's almost like the spirit of God for all of us in the room. Let's be honest. The spirit of God for all of us in the room through this text, this is what he's doing. Dancer, it's time to get in the game. It's time to get in the game. Just insert your name. It's time to get in the game. Listen, it's okay to get in good to sit and soak in the presence of God and worship. That's such a good and right thing. That's good. But if you sit and soak continually, and that never leads to actually practically living on mission as a warrior for God, bringing light to darkness, listen, that's no longer good anymore because we're missing it. If we really spend time and get to know and we are with our Savior Jesus Christ, we will understand his heart. We will understand our mission because his heart, as he gave us that, and he quoted Isaiah 61. Why did he come? He came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to bring freedom. He came to live up to his name, the one who came to deliver. And so, so to me, within this, within this text, there is a clear call for all of us to make a commitment to strategic and significant service to our king. Listen, if you're a, if you're a, a husband, this says for all of us men to, to stand up, to be the spiritual leaders that God has designed us to be. Speaking, I'm talking to myself. I may not be talking to you. I'm talking to myself. And for you ladies, if you are married and you have a home, it's for you to, to develop, intentionally foster an environment in your home of following Jesus in your home. For all of us, it's to find our specific strategic service where God has planted you. And if this is your church home, if you would call this your church home, then, then it's very clear to me that all of us are to not only spend time strategically getting to know our Savior and being with Him, but we are to be about His mission. And the principal way we're about His mission is through the local church. We are to serve Him in the local church. 
And so I think for many of us, I think it's time for us to step up into that strategic role. And I don't know what what that is for you. I think for some of us, you are so gifted. Many of you uniquely gifted, and you know what that is in your life, but, but you, for whatever reason, lots of reasons that could be, and I don't know what that is, you have come and you are growing, you are learning, and you love what God is doing at Hope. But listen, there are many of us in the room and in the second service and at home that need to step up into strategic leadership within this church body. I polled our staff last Monday at our staff meeting. I asked them, like, what do you need now? But what leadership positions do you need now that we don't have? Listen, we're growing. We have needs, uh, specific strategic needs that we can mobilize to, for you today. Here's a few of them. This is not comprehensive. Here's a few, a few of them. We are in desperate need of women's Bible season. We're in desperate need of men's Bible study leaders that would step up and say, I will for a season teach the word of God. And I'm gifted in this and I feel called toward this. We need hope group leaders. Our small groups that meets on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, we need more called equipped, ready people to to lead hope groups. We need D-group pioneers. That's our discipleship groups. We say that community happens best within a hope group, but discipleship happens best within a D-group. And a D-group is two to five men, two to five women meeting together regularly for encouragement and accountability. Listen, it's a good thing, and it's a biblical thing. Jesus modeled this. The New Testament church modeled this for us. We really need all of us, if you're part of the family of hope, to step into those Jesus-centered relationships on a regular basis. And listen, if we're talking about Jesus in relationship regularly, I just have to believe that God's going to honor and bless that. I just have to believe that God's going to honor and bless that. We need at least one more lady on Sunday morning to invest in our students, which are meeting right over there right now. I don't know, 30-something of them that are meeting over there, and there are adults pouring into them. We need more ladies. If there's more men in the room, like Phil called to that, I'll get you plugged in. We need more kids teachers because we're growing. We've got kids everywhere. We're filling up that kids area right over there uh, to our west. Um, we need missionaries. I need people to go with me to Colorado so I can help one of our partner planter churches in, in, in Longmont, Colorado. I've got like one family for sure signed up, and that's my family. Listen, I need some people to go because I can do a little bit, but I need help. Listen, all this goes back to our text. God calls us to himself and to a very personal relationship with him. And then he calls us to be mobilized as warriors. He even gave some warrior names to them. I mean, Peter was called the rock. I love that. If I had a rock stare, I'd do a rock stare, but I can't do it. You know, the rock that's an actor and old wrestler. I could do that. But that's a cool name. That's a cool, that's a warrior name. And then he gave a few of them the name Sons of Thunder. Now, most theologians think that that was because they, they, they missed their anger management class when they were young. And they were, you know, that's just the way, the way they were. But later on, listen, Peter and those brothers, they lived up to that name. Jesus gave them a new name. And eventually, they lived up to it. And so Jesus says, you are wanted. He says, for all of us, you are appointed. You are not what the enemy says about you. You are what I say about you. And if you are a man, listen, man, you are a mighty man. Listen, ladies, if you are a lady, you are a mighty lady. You are a warrior for Christ. 
And Jesus is saying to us, now go and live out that new name, that Jesus-given identity. Now, I do sense, we're going to close, and I didn't really know where the Lord was leading me. I, I work on these sermons way ahead of time, but, but here, here's what I, I feel strongly today uh, should be our response. I ask the question to myself, self, what is keeping our people at hope? What is keeping us from doing what Jesus is preaching to us today? And here's what I sense for a whole lot of us in the room. It's just hurt. It's just hurt. We've been hurt. And so we feel strongly that we need to go through a season of just resting, which is good. It's good. We need to go through a season of healing. This is good and grieving. And the band's going to come, and we're going to have a closing song. I don't know what that hurt is for you. I just know it's real. If I could just open my head. And you could see what I see. people in the room who are hurt and you have family hurt and you come today and that's deep you have significant hurt today some of you today that's maybe that's work hurt I don't, I don't know maybe it's pocketbook hurt I don't know I don't know I think many of us come with church hurt that, that you've been hurt by church and you've come and this is a, a place where you're finding healing and, and and you're finding Jesus, and that's what he does. He delivers. And um, Two things uh, for a response. First is this. Can I just say, if you are hurt today, can I just say the first response is let's talk. I'm going to do something that no one does these days. Would you write down my cell phone number? 936. It's easy. 936 that's not a made-up number. That's my real cell phone number, 936-777-0009. Listen, if you were hurt today and you need someone to talk to, that would be an honor to talk to you. Now, don't, don't, don't abuse that number, please. I, I realize that I'm giving that out. Um, that, that's what we're here to do. If you're here today and you're hurt and you need someone to talk through and filter that just through kindness and love and Scripture, I would love to do that for you. And if you haven't talked about that hurt with someone, let me just say, you should. You should talk to somebody this week. If it's not me, someone else that follows Jesus that will listen to you with a compassionate ear. So let's talk. But the second is this, let's leave. Let's leave today before we leave this place. Let's leave that hurt at the altar. For centuries, churches has, have done that. They have left their things that are weighing them down at the altar of Jesus, saying, Jesus, I don't know why this is here, but I'm leaving it at your feet, knowing and trusting that he's the only one that can deliver us from that hurt. He is the one that has come to bind up the broken hearted. So if that's you today, I'm calling you to respond to that today that you would uh, come to the altar 
Maybe that's altering your chair. I don't know. I know it's just a symbolic thing. But to me, there's just something about coming to the altar and getting on your knees and saying, Jesus, would you just, I give this hurt to you. Would you just release me? If you need someone to pray with, I've asked uh, Devin and Vince and Bill to come up here. If you need someone just to pray over you for the hurt or something else in your life, now is the time to respond. If we're going to honor what Jesus said to do to be with him, if we're going to honor to be appointed to be a missionary and a warrior for him, we have to leave the stuff that's weighing us down so that we can do so in freedom. I invite you in this moment to do that very thing. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your word. God, I pray through your spirit that you would release those in bondage to hurt and pain at this very moment. God, we release these things to you. We give them to you. God, we don't, we don't want to forget the past, God, but we don't want to live in the past. We want to live for you in freedom from this moment on. So we collectively thank you for coming to us for wanting us, for calling us to be with you. And God, for also giving us a mission to live toward. And so in honor of that mission, we give these things to you for your glory and for your honor and for our benefit and for those around us that we might display the freedom that we have found in Jesus this week that we find in this moment. We pray in Jesus, amen. Let's stand. Let's respond as the Lord's.